Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dentistry Unmasked. My name is David Rice. I think you know me, and I know you know this young lady over here. No, they don't. Pam Maragliano Muniz. It is so good to see you this week. You too. I'm excited for this week. We've got somebody pretty impressive in all ways, shapes, and forms, and I know we're going to cover a lot of turf. I know, and I'm going to make it super awkward because I feel like being from New Jersey, like once I met you, I feel like I already know you because we're sort of the same kind of people. And so I think I like act like I know you more than I actually do. So I'm just going to go with it and be like, this is my brother from another mother, Dr. Jason Auerbach, aka Bloody Tooth Guy. Jason, welcome. Thank you so much. And I see it the same way. Absolutely. That's the beauty of New Jersey. It's just a state of love. It is a state of love. People think it's the armpit of the country. And we're like, no, no, no. That's because they love here. That's right. Well, listen, they drive through Sea Caucus. My daughter and I were in the car the other day and she's like, what is that, dad? And I said, that's Sea Caucus. (laughs) (laughs) New Jersey has has, uh, some beautiful parts and some parts that maybe are a little bit less desirable. But I will say that uh, it has been very good to me and I I love being here. So that's really it. I love New Jersey. You're talking about a Buffalo kid over here, Jason. So we really have... The chicken wing is our claim to fame, which is really a scrap of the chicken. So that's really what I'm bringing to this dance. Well, I love wings. I really do. Both the the, the drums and the flats. I'm, a, I'm equal opportunity. And I will say that um, I love Buffalo. It's 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 a town that's not really appreciated um, by many, but I, I, I've had some good times there. I really have. It's a good town. We yeah. should do that poll one day. Drums versus flats versus your equal opportunity. Yeah. What do you like, Pam? Oh my gosh. I'm going to sound like a total tree hugger when I say this, but I don't love carcasses. Like I feel like if I could eat, like if I'm not, I'm a meat eater, but I don't love it to look like what it was. So oh, I like a, like a filet or like a chicken breast kind of thing. But if I'm like, Got to eat a wing. I'm going to go a drum because it's like a little bit more meatier and there's like less like wing action to it. I don't know. I just, yeah, I'm weird That's that fair. way. That's fair. It's, it's not weird at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's get to it. I mean, we could go on and on about this, but I think that, you know, one of the things, and that's really how I met you really was through Instagram. And so your Instagram is so interesting because it's, it's like, probably blocked by Instagram, like as much as like, I don't know, like, like a porn stage, right? Like, I mean, I would think, probably. my goodness, yeah, yeah right. Because yeah. of the, the images that you show and the videos that you share yet, like people cannot get enough. I think you're like the Dr. Pimple Popper of surgery. I mean, like people can't get enough of it. Uh, I appreciate the, I appreciate all aspects of what you just said. In fact, um, Dr. Pimple Popper and her, Dr. Pimple Popper was my kind of inspo, if you will. Um, I was, uh, people know this story. I mean, I was I was sitting here where I'm currently sitting right now in 2015, and I had kids that were young at the time, and and they were on Instagram, and and to me, I had no clue about Instagram at all. But I had uh, this understanding of Dr. Pimple Popper, and I was like, if people are going to watch people pop pimples, then maybe they care a little bit about bloody teeth. And I knew that, like, maybe the audience wasn't as broad, and frankly, it's not. But but um, certainly in our little vertical of dentistry and people who are into bloody teeth, uh, yeah, I've I've built a little bit of a following that that follows me 
in places where I would never expect like restrooms and, and, uh, like yeah, reception areas and and wherever I am, like I will I I I often will have people walk up to me like bloody tooth guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm just like yeah, I'm a dentist from New Jersey. That's basically what I do. So yeah, I have a little bit of fame, which is nice for my ego. But you know what? I think it's good for a lot of people too because I love your page because there's kind of equal parts. I mean, it's number one, it's all you. And I feel like I love that the the authenticity that you share. But I think that there's an element for the pimple popper watcher people who like to see just some mouth blood. But I also think that you share education. And it got me thinking about, you know, I don't do surgery. So we'll just throw that out there. But I also know that there's a lot of dentists that do, and there's a lot of dentists that try to do things that maybe they shouldn't do on certain people. And you have to bail them out once in a while. True. Yes, this is, this is true. All, all of the aspects of that statement are, are true. Um, listen, I, I, I am probably to some degree, as I think about it, I don't want to say to blame for, but responsible to some degree for people doing things that are maybe um, a little bit outside their comfort zone. And, and, you know, I routinely will get DMs on Insta about, you know, you've been instrumental in in showing me the way to do this. I've learned more from you than I did in school. You know, I, 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 I now do this because I've watched you do it for so many years. I had a kid here today uh, shadowing me from India, a guy who just finished dental school. He's 24 years old. Uh, he's looking to do advanced standing here in the States. And he shadowed me and he told me, I mean, the, all the stuff that he does that has the, any surgical tilt, he learned from me, not necessarily from dental school. And um, so, yeah, we do we yes we do have a lot of more a lot more surgically minded dentists now i believe the younger generation are by and large more surgically minded they're very interested in uh implant dentistry and even full arch and stuff like that i mean that's a huge push and so as such there there are more opportunities for things to go wrong in their hands and therefore more opportunities for oral surgeons across the country i would i would wager that most feel this way that they're seeing more second attempts and things like that. Mm. Yeah. What's the most common bailout that you seem to have to do? I think the most common bailout is uh, a, uh, a wisdom tooth that looked like a rollout. It would look really easy. So they figured they would try it. And like two and a half hours later, um, mm. it didn't really go as, as planned. That's probably the most typical bailout. I, I see fewer, you know, root tips displaced in sinuses or or small retained roots things like that um you know i've had implants retained uh, pushed into sinuses and stuff like that but the majority of it is like something that looked easy you know perceivably so uh was not as easy as it looked and that's you know that's that's very very common so one of the things i really i've come to appreciate and you know we were kind of talking about this offline is your not happy to do it, but happy to do it as, as OMFS to say, Hey, part of my role and my job is to help bail out. Not it's your favorite thing in the world to do, but, um, that, that you you're willing to do that, that helps you, you know, kind of build your career early on. And it's, it's, it's kind of become something that, you know, flag you carry around to this next generation to show people like, Hey, this is who we are as, as surgeons. But what advice would you give to a young you know, GP who, who does want to stretch, but maybe doesn't want to have to be the guy or the gal that calls you at 
you know, five o'clock on a Friday. Yeah, you know, I, I would say it's it's like anything else. You have to kind of look inward and know who you are. You have to understand your skill set. You have to, it's, it's, it, when I speak to, so just understand, I don't think that just because you're a GP that that means you shouldn't be doing oral surgery or periodontist shouldn't be doing this or that or whatever. I don't think that your kind of title should, should really guide you necessarily. I do think that your training should, um, mm-hmm. and your skill set should, and, and, and your talent level should, but I don't think just like you're a GP, so you should be doing, you know, restor- restorative dentistry. I don't, I don't see it that way at all. I actually think that case like choice of case and really that way you have to start a little bit easier um even from a surgical perspective there's a ton of stuff and i'm a little tangential here that there, there's a ton of stuff that is falls within the the realm of oral and maxillofacial surgery though i'm trained to do there are people who are better at it and therefore i don't like start it and send it over um there's so much that goes into it. And the number one guiding principle always needs to be uh, what's best for the patient, right? So literally every single time, is there someone else out there who can do this better for the patient? And, And if that's the answer, then and that's really where the patient should go. I mean, that's part of the whole thing. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't push yourself. You shouldn't stretch yourself. You shouldn't, uh, do more, a little bit more each time, but choosing the case properly and being able to handle any complication that comes your way, those, those things are also tremendously important. It most definitely is. And I would also think there's kind of a way to do it and a way not to do it. I'm sure you could probably list off a list of dentists that just send you their problems. And you're like, dude, like, what Mm. am I? But I would think that you know, I think having a collaborative approach with your specialists is key. I know, you know, I I got this piece of advice a few years ago, you know, if, like totally not related to surgery, but bringing in clear aligners into your practice and start by talking to the orthodontists about it and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. I'm thinking of marketing this. And in essence, I'm marketing for you because I'm only going to do like 10% of the cases that come my way. Um, but if I have any questions, can I help you? And they were like, I can't believe that you did that. Like nobody has that conversation like up front. And yeah, send me, send me the the plans that are sent. Let me help you. Let's do this. It'll be so fun and we'll get to work together all the time. And meanwhile, I send 90, like more than 90% of any cases that come in off to the orthodontist. So I feel like from a surgical perspective, like we should you know, collaborate with you first. And if there's, you know, questions or treatment planning or whatever, you know, and if you're like, Hey, this probably might result in a complication, the dentist then has kind of a more educated decision on where to go. Are there dentists that work with you in that way? Definitely. Um, I I would say, you know, listen, you, you could speak to, you know, plenty of oral surgeons out there who, who are a little bit, let's say, crotchety about the concept of like general dentists placing their implants and stuff like that. And I, I actually see it the other way. I think general dentists who place implants are some of my best referring dentists, um, especially in the, in the dental implant realm, because they're placing pretty straightforward dental implants, maybe with increasing complexity as time goes on. Um, but they noted most of them kind of 
and I don't want this to come out like whatever they, they kind of like stay in their lane, right? They're comfortable with putting in a lower first molar or maybe an upper bicuspid or something like that. But if something requires grafting or, you know, a little bit more sophisticated type of work or, or, or just, you know, for whatever reason, the health history of the patient, uh, whatever, they, those patients will generally come my way. So I am, I really am not just in a way where I'm like manipulating the situation, but it, I, I'm help happy to help people do whatever they're comfortable doing. But again, as long as it's what's best for the patient and um, it's being done in, in a way that they, they can handle what goes wrong, then it makes sense. The last thing you want as a general dentist or as anybody is to be in a situation with a patient where you can't handle it. I mean, the, the loss of confidence that that patient feels if, if in the middle of an extraction or in the middle of an implant or in the middle of whatever, that patient has to be like, oh, sorry, I thought I could do this. I can't do it. I have to send you to this other guy who's going to finish the work for me. It becomes It becomes like a not such a great thing at, from a practice building standpoint. Um, so you find actually as dentists get a little bit older and they get on their career and they become busier um, doing the things that, that maybe they're better trained to do or that, or that they're more comfortable with or that they like doing more, they don't need to necessarily try to keep that surgery in-house. They start doing fewer and fewer surgeries, but they're, but they're of the mind that they're looking for it. And so now we're seeing, you know, from those patients, from those doctors who are a little bit on in their career, more referring, more referred cases. And so, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a big wheel, right? So ultimately if you do right, if I, my goal is to always do right by the patient, always do right by the referring dentist. They see that that comes through that translates. Ultimately people trust me, thank God. And, and, and send me their patients. I love that. So, so Pam, I mean, you're in a similar situation, right? Where, you know, process training, you have a lot more experience than many dentists out there. And, you know, there's a patient side and doing right by the patient. And Jason, you mentioned like that confidence level that, that either is, is gained or potentially lost, but there's a team side to this and a culture side to it. Pam, like what happens in your practice when, when, when you bail somebody out or, you know, you see a patient that, you know, somebody attempted and it didn't go quite as well as it could have gone. Like what's, what's their perspective? I'm such a diplomat and I'm sure Jason, you're the same. I'm like, yeah. wow, you know, they did such a great job. I would, you know, maybe blah, blah, you know, like I really try to, you know, tell patients what I see, tell them how sure. I can help them. But I usually started off with a compliment here or there first so that they don't lose trust in the person that sent them my way. And um, I mean, honestly, the other day this happened to me and I feel like you talk about complications. Sometimes you just don't have time to deal with them. And there, this was a simple case where there was a patient who had an implant restored, but the opposing tooth was really super erupted. So it was like this short, dumpy little implant with this big, long tooth. And so I was crowning the tooth to put it back into the plane of occlusion and replacing the implant crown. Shouldn't have been a big deal. I could not get that screw out for the life of me. And I was like, you know what? F it. I'm not taking it out. You can go back to the surgeon who placed it because I, could, I couldn't get the screw out for the life of me. I was, it wasn't stripped, but I was like, if I like really crank on it, I might break it. Now I'm going to be in this for like more than an hour that I don't have. And I was like, you know what? You also know when to, to fold them too, you know, and just stop it before it becomes a legit complication. So you know, I think sometimes it's worth it to just do those things. For sure. And, and, and that's your experience level though too, right? I mean, that's the difference between somebody who's probably um, unscrewed, you know, 5,000 implants versus somebody who maybe it's their first couple of times and they just, they just, they haven't done it enough to know which ones are going to be a challenge. And if that first few minutes doesn't go well, that that could be a sign of things to come. Right. Yeah. I was bending my screwdriver and I'm like, 
I'm not ruining my things because of this stupid screw. <laughs> You're so, very powerful. So. Yeah, I know. I'm so strong that like I was bending. Yes. Jersey strong. <laughs> it's true. I traded my big hair for these like magic hands. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm getting total oral surgery rotation vibes. I have to tell you a story. You talk about complications you can't handle. There was this tooth. It was a molar and it, there was a crown on it. And it was literally just the little root tips in the bone. So I remember talking to my teacher and I was like, can I do this as a competency? And he laughed at me because it looked like such a joke. And he was like, take, and I only remember because it was so traumatic. He's like, okay, you don't even need to elevate. Just take the cow horn and squeeze. And I was like, all right, cool. So I take it. I'm like, squeeze it. And the crown pops off and it gets behind my little gauze goalie that I put in the patient's mouth. Patient chokes on it, coughs it up, gets the crown. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So now there's a crown prep on this little tooth with these little roots. And he's like, that's fine. Just take the cow horn and squeeze. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Cow horn, squeeze. Crown prep snaps off, patient chokes on that damn thing. And now I'm left with root tips. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I need your help. And poor Dr. Marino is like, you're such a jerk. And I'm like, I know I can't handle it. So he goes and takes my root tips out. And I was like, I can never be a surgeon. Like, this is just not for me. So you have all my respect and kudos for what you do on a day in and day out basis. Cause I literally could not take out a tooth that was like, in the bone, like two millimeters, like it was such a joke. Well, so. I'll, I'll counter that story with the like festooning and things of that nature and <laughs> wax rims and, and the things that I needed to do when I was in dental school that I never really understood the, the, the rationale for. Not that I didn't understand why it needed to be done and learn fundamentals and all that kind of stuff, but like removable pros to me is the re is part of the reason why I'm an oral maxillofacial surgeon. I mean, like not only the love for passion for aptitude for the actual exodontia, which is what I thought was, you know, that's the only thing you understand the dentistry oral maxillofacial surgery to be is exodontia, but it was really like the anti removable pros. And I worked for a prosthodontist uh, in the evenings while I was in dental school. I was like her assistant, best, amazing, Dr. Caroline Grasso, the best in, in New York City, as far as I'm concerned. And she um, she literally like was trying to impart her knowledge and just show me this is the beauty of pros. And I do see it as beautiful. And in fact, to some degree, it helps me in terms of my placement, you know, just the way I see things. But um, yeah, removable pros, not for me, never was. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about something that is for you, which is super cool. You have scaled your practice. And I mean, it's, it's an understatement to say you've scaled your practice. You now have basically an, a DSO, right, for oral surgeons, for oral surgery practices. Can you tell us about that journey? Sure. Um, so just so you know, I'm kind of like uh, the anti-DSO, DSO, if you will, right? So, I, you know, um, I started my practice right where I'm currently sitting in 2007. Um, and we grew it over the course of like a, an appropriate, I started from scratch, from zero uh, bank financing like anyone else does. Um, and I started that practice and grew it to, I think, 10 or 11 different offices. It's called Riverside Oral Surgery. Um, it started in Bergen County, which is the northernmost county in northeasternmost county in, in New Jersey. And we grew south and from there. Um, and then probably about three, four years ago, obviously, um, you know, private equity and large-scale DSOs started getting interested more so in in specialty dentistry, specifically oral maxillofacial surgery. And we 
we looked at all these different options. Like, do we get involved? Do we still do it on our own? At that time, like I said, we had 10 or 11 offices. We were all cross-collateralized, and I was, like, personally guaranteeing everything. And it was all done through TD Bank, who was great to us as we grew. Uh, and then it, it just became evident to me that, we would, that the best move for us in order to continue to grow and do what we were doing would be to figure out a different route. And so... We, I knew definitively I was never going to sell to a general dental DSO. Uh, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't really an, in a model that I was looking for. Uh, I definitely did not really understand the multi-specialty DSO. I mean, I understand it from their business model. It just didn't make sense from an oral maxillofacial surgery standpoint for me to do something like that. And so I went about to find investors, which we did, who believed enough in what I was trying to do, which was basically have a surgeon-led um, oral maxillofacial surgery only platform that was really focused on oral maxillofacial surgeons and what I think makes our specialty unique, which is there are many things that I think makes our specialty unique and beautiful. And we have, you know, all these fellowship trained surgeons, all the subspecialties represented. We are full scope. It's not just exodontia and implants. It's really full scope. So we found investors, um, two different investors who, who believed in it, let us form within the charter of the organization, a clinical advisory board, which is autonomous as it relates to the clinical delivery of care. And we are very differentiated in that way. And so the surgeons really lead that. And then there are three surgeons on the executive board of, of Max, which is the name of the, of the platform. We partnered with Oral Surgery Group, which had three offices in central New Jersey. Uh, in fact, the guy, Rich Stern, took out my wisdom teeth. He was the managing partner when we were down in, when I was in dental school and he was in residency. And we formed this, this alliance, if you will. And since then, we've moved from just the state of New Jersey to New York, Vermont. And today, just today, as we record this, um, Pennsylvania. So now we're in four states. Uh, we have 20 two offices and and we continue to want to grow but we're we're really not looking to just accumulate EBITDA which was an an acronym no one even knew 5 years ago <laughs> um we are really trying to build something that's very very special and of course there's a financial side to it but but really I really hold the belief that like a scaled oral surgery or any dental specialty practice doesn't necessarily have to have a like a decreased level of care. In fact, I think it should work the opposite. I think the the more shared best practices, the more shared ideas, the more collaboration you can have, the better offering you can put out there to your patients. So I I'm really focused on building the reputation and really my abstract high level goal is to change the way that large scale healthcare is seen across the board. So start with oral surgery, see where it goes. I'm 50 years old. As I see it, I've got another 50 years to do it. So we'll see. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's a yeah, lot in not great. a lot of time. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of dentists who, you know, like me, I have one practice and I think there's a lot of other dentists out there that are kind of wondering how to navigate this game. And you sort of decided to take control of it and kind yeah. of, you know, go from there. Yeah. Um, how does that work for referrals or, you know, are people saying, ah, it's a little different now that Max has taken over? Is it anything like that? No. So, you know, I was concerned about, so the, the investment premise was we were going to build a platform called Riverside Oral Surgery Management. Riverside, you know, 
thankfully had a had a, a strong reputation nationally despite being a private practice i think people knew of bloody tooth guy and connected riverside and bloody tooth guy and and at amos we would do these parties american association of oral maxillofacial surgeons we would do these parties um and the entire specialty would come and celebrate and and, and it would be a good thing so we had a really good reputation i felt a really good reputation um but as we started talking to part talking about partnering with practices that were either competitors of ours or locally uh, aware of our brand it became a little bit less desirable of them for them to become riverside let's say because they were proud of their brands and actually one of the tenants of our of our platform is to maintain your brand identity this is very important um and that will never change and it's actually another differentiator right that we want people to feel proud about the brand that they bring to the table um i personally do not feel that my referring doctors think it's any different. Um, the ones who have expressed, it actually got different as we went from like three practices to eight practices. That's really where the hiccups started, uh, just in terms of the phone tree and things like that. But healthcare is still very much a local business, right? Like if you call Riverside Oral Surgery, River Edge, you want to speak to Jess, you want to speak to Chantel, they know you you know them, you speak about your kids or common interests or whatever it is. And actually, that's what bonds a specialist's office to a general dentist's office. It's the teams and, and it's the it's the humans. So um, I think, look, I think as you scale any business, scaling culture is probably the most challenging piece. As I get further and further away from the people on the ground, if you will, it's more important that they understand through the people who are between me and them kind of why we started this that it's all about optimal patient experience and that started from this seat that i'm currently sitting in and hopefully it's just as important to the 150th practice uh as it is to us and so that's 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 kind of my answer i don't know that i answered your question but that's that was what i had to say perfectly and and, and i'll pam I don't, seriously i don't know where the time goes because i know, I we're, know. We're, we're already 30 minutes deep but i i have to say what i i think i admire most about you is like the, the concept of culture and that culture is character and it is it is always doing the right thing and and then the goodness the the financial rewards the the growth rewards everything sort of stems from that whether it's what you're doing with your own patients what you've done on instagram to educate other dentists bringing people in in your practice and kind of letting them shadow and see what you do and and now a model where you're you're scaling to um you know four different states is 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 really cool and it's something i think you should and i can see i can hear it in you but to be incredibly proud of we need we need more people like you who just consistently put the patient first and realize that that is the win and that's going to drive all the wins. So Pam, thank you. Yeah, no, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this with us and to hang out with us today. And um, I don't know, I think I need to have you back again. For uh, sure. Literally anytime. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I love what you guys do. I, I think it's great. Um, I, I, the print stuff, this stuff, I mean, it's all really, the, the really, kind of the, the standard bearer. So thank you. And um, I hope to speak to you guys again. And listen, anytime you're in Jersey, come on by. I'm totally taking you up will. on that. A hundred percent. All right, everybody yeah. follow bloody tooth guy on Instagram and just good luck keeping up with them. So guys, <laughs> we will see you all next week. See you then. Cheers. Thank you everyone for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS 
or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.